0: book three chapter ten of marcella this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by liz delasu marcella by mrs humphrey ward book three chapter ten my dear ned do be reasonable your sister is in despair and so am i why'd you torment us by staying on here in the heat "'and taking all these engagements, which you know you are no more fit for than—' "'A sick grasshopper!' laughed Hollin. "'Healthy wretch! Did heaven give you that sunburn, "'only that you might come home from Italy and twit us weaklings? "'Do you think I want to look as rambustious as you?' "'Nothing too much, my good friend.' Aldous looked down upon the speaker, with an anxiety quite untouched by Hollin's chaff. Miss Holland tells me, he persisted, that you are wearing yourself out with this lecturing campaign, that you don't sleep, and that she is more unhappy about you than she has been for months. Why not give it up now, rest, and begin again in the winter? Holland smiled a little, as he sat with the tips of his fingers lightly joined in front of him. I doubt whether I shall live through the winter, he said quietly raeburn started Hollin, in general spoke of his health when he allowed it to be mentioned at all in the most cheerful terms why you should behave as though you wished to make such a prophecy true i can't conceive he said in impatient pain Hollin offered no immediate answer and raeburn who was standing in front of him leaning against the woodwork of the open windows, looked unhappily at the face and form of his friend. In youth, that face had possessed a Greek serenity and blitheness, dependent, perhaps, on its clear aquiline feature, the steady transparent eyes, chairly lucida templa, the fresh fairness of the complexion, and the boyish brow under its arch of pale brown hair and to stronger men there had always been something peculiarly winning in the fragile grace of figure and movements, suggesting, as they did, sad and perpetual compromise between the spirit's eagerness and the body's weakness. Don't make yourself unhappy, my dear boy, said Holland at last, putting out a thin hand and touching his friend. I shall give up soon. Moreover, it will give me up. WORKMEN WANT TO DO SOMETHING ELSE WITH THEIR EVENINGS IN JULY THAN SPEND THEM IN LISTENING TO STUFFY LECTURES. I SHALL GO TO THE LAKES. BUT THERE ARE A FEW ENGAGEMENTS STILL AHEAD, AND I CONFESS I AM MORE RESTLESS THAN I USED TO BE. THE NIGHT COMETH WHEN NO MAN CAN WORK. THEY FELL INTO A CERTAIN AMOUNT OF DISCURSIVE TALK, OF THE POLITICAL SITUATION, WORKING-CLASS OPINION AND THE REST raeburn had been alive now for some time to a curious change of balance in his friend's mind holland's buoyant youth had concerned itself almost entirely with positive crusades and enthusiasms of late he seemed rather to have passed into a period of negations of strong opposition to certain current isms and faiths and the happy boyish tone of earlier years had become the stormy note of men contention tossed which belongs indeed as truly to such a character as the joy of young ideals he had always been to some extent divided from raeburn and others of his early friends by his passionate democracy his belief in and trust of the multitude for holland the divine originating life was realized and manifested through the common humanity and its struggle as a whole for raeburn only in the best of it, morally or intellectually, the rest remaining an inscrutable problem, which did not, indeed, prevent faith, but hung upon it like a dead weight. Such divisions, however, are among the common divisions of thinking men, and had never interfered with the friendship of these two in the least. But the developing alienation between Holland and hundreds of his working-men friends was of an infinitely keener and sorer kind, since he had begun his lecturing and propagandist life socialist ideas of all kinds had made great way in britain and on the whole as the prevailing type of them grew stronger Hollins' sympathy with them had grown weaker and weaker property to him meant self-realization and the abuse of property was no more just ground for a crusade which logically aimed at doing away with it than the abuse of other human powers or instincts would make it reasonable to try and do away with say love or religion to give property, and therewith the fuller human opportunity, to those that have none, was the inmost desire of his life, and not merely common property, though like all true soldiers of the human cause he believed that common property will be in the future enormously extended, but in the first place, and above all, to distribute the discipline and the trust of personal and private possession among an infinitely greater number of hands than possess them already and that not for wealth's sake though a more equal distribution of property and therewith of capacity must inevitably tend to wealth but for the soul's sake and for the sake of that continuous appropriation by the race of its moral and spiritual heritage how is it to be done holland like many others would have answered for england mainly by a fresh distribution of the land—not, of course, by violence— which only means the worst form of waste known to history but by the continuous pressure of an emancipating legislation relieving land from shackles long since struck off other kinds of property by the assertion within a certain limited range of communal initiative and control and above all by the continuous private effort in all sorts of ways and spheres of men of good will for all sweeping uniform schemes he had the natural contempt of the student or the moralist to imagine that by nationalizing sixty annual millions of rent for instance you could make england a city of god was not only a vain dream but a belittling of england's history and england's task a nation is not saved so cheaply and to see those energies turned to land nationalization or the scheming of a collectivist millennium which might have gone to the housing educating and refining of english men women and children of to-day to moralizing the employer's view of his profit and the landlord's conception of his estate filled him with a growing despair the relation of such a habit of life and mind to the collectivist and socialist ideas now coming to the front in england as in every other european country is obvious enough to Holland, the social life the community was everything yet to be a socialist seemed to him more and more to be a traitor he would have built his state on the purified will of the individual man and could conceive no other foundation for a state worth having but for purification there must be effort and for effort there must be freedom socialism as he read it despised and decried freedom and placed the good of man wholly in certain external conditions it was aiming at a state of things under which the joys and pains the teaching and the risks of true possession were to be for ever shut off from the poor human will which yet according to him could never do without them if man was to be man so that he saw it all specie eternitatis as a matter not of economic theory but rather of religion Rayburn, as they talked, shrank in dismay from the burning intensity of mood underlying his controlled speech. He spoke, for instance, of Bennett's conversion to Harry Horton's proposed bill, or of the land nationalizing scheme. He was spending all his slender stores of breath and strength in attacking, not with anger or contempt, but with a passionate sorrow which seemed to Rayburn preposterous, intolerable to be exhausting in him the very springs and sources of a too precarious life there rose in Alders at last an indignant protest which yet could hardly find itself words what help to have softened the edge and fury of religious war only to discover new antagonisms of opinion as capable of devastating heart and affection as any homoogen of old Had they not already cost him love, were they also in another fashion to cost him his friend? Ah, dear fellow, enough, said Holland at last. Take me back to Italy. You have told me so little, such a niggardly little. I told you that we went, and I came back in a water-spout, said Aldous. The first rain in northern Italy for four months. Worse luck. Rain at Reggio. Rain at Parma, at Lodi, rain, Piacenza, rain. That might about stand for my diary, except for one radiant day when my aunt, Betty MacDonald, and I descended on Milan and climbed the Duomo. Did Miss Betty amuse you? Aldous laughed. Well, at least she varied the programme. The greater part of our day in Milan, Aunt Netta and I spent in rushing after her like its tail after a kite. First of all, she left us in the Duomo square, running like a deer, and presently, to Aunt Netta's horror, we discovered that she was pursuing a young Italian officer in a blue cloak. When we came up with the pair, she was inquiring in her best Italian where the signor got his cloak. Because positively she must have one like it. And he, cap in hand, was explaining to the signorina that if she would but follow him round the corner to his military tailor's, she could be supplied on the spot. So there we all went, Miss Betty insisting. You can imagine Aunt Netta. She bought a small shipload of stuff and then positively skipped for joy in the street outside, the amazed officer looking on and as for her career over the roof of the duomo the agitation of it nearly brought my aunt to destruction and even i heaved a sigh of relief when i got them both down safe is the creature all tricks said Hollin with a smile as you talk of her to me i get the notion of a little monkey just cut loose from a barrel organ "'Oh, but the monkey has so much heart,' said Aldous, laughing again, as everyone was apt to laugh who talked about Betty MacDonald. "'And it makes friends with every sick and sorry creature it comes across, especially with old maids. It amounts to genius, Betty's way with old maids. You should see her in the middle of them in the hotel salon at night. A perfect ring of them, and the men outside totally neglected and out of temper.' i have never seen betty yet in a room with somebody she thought ill at ease or put in the shade a governess or a schoolgirl or a lumpish boy that she did not devote herself to that somebody it is a pretty instinct i have often wondered if it is nature or art he fell silent still smiling Hollin watched him closely perhaps the thought which had risen in his mind revealed itself by some subtle sign or other to aldous for suddenly Rayburn's expression changed. The overstrenuous harassed look, which of late had somewhat taken the place of his old philosopher's quiet, reappeared. I did not tell you, Hollin, he began in a low voice, raising his eyes to his friend, that I had seen her again. Hollin paused for a moment. Then he said, No, I knew she went to the house to hear Wharton's speech, and that she dined there i supposed she might just have come across you but she said nothing of course i had no idea said aldous suddenly lady winterburn and i came across her on the terrace then i saw she was with that man's party she spoke to me afterwards i believe now she meant to be kind His voice showed the difficulty he had in speaking at all, but I saw him coming up to talk to her, and I am ashamed to think of my own manner, but I could not help myself. His face and eye took, as he spoke, a peculiar vividness and glow. Rayburn had not for months mentioned to him the name of Marcella Boyce, but Hollin had all along held two faiths about the matter. First— that Aldous was still possessed by a passion which had become part of his life, secondly, that the events of the preceding year had produced in him an exceedingly bitter sense of ill-usage, of a type which Holin had not perhaps expected. Did you see anything to make you suppose, he asked quietly after a pause, that she is going to marry him? no, no. Aldous repeated slowly. But she is clearly on friendly, perhaps intimate, terms with him. And just now, of course, she is more likely to be influenced by him than ever. He made a great success of a kind in the house a fortnight ago. People seem to think he may come rapidly to the front, so I understand. I don't believe it. The jealousies that divide that group are too unmanageable. If he were a Parnell. But he lacks just the qualities that matter—the reticence, the power of holding himself aloof from irrelevant things and interests, the hard self-concentration. Aldous raised his shoulders. I don't imagine there's a lack of that. But certainly he holds himself aloof from nothing and nobody. I hear of him everywhere. What? Among the smart people.' Aldus nodded. "'A change of policy, by all accounts,' said Hollin, musing. "'He must do it with intention. "'He is not the man to let himself be Capuad, all at once.' "'Oh, dear, no,' said Aldous dryly. "'He does it with intention. "'Nobody supposes him to be the mere toady. "'All the same, I think he may very well overrate the importance of the class he is trying to make use of, and its influence.' "'Have you been following the strike-leaders in the clarion?' "'No!' cried Hollin, flushing. "'I would not read them for the world. "'I might not be able to go on giving to the strike.' Aldous fell silent, and Hollin presently saw that his mind had harked back to the one subject that really held the depths of it. "'The truest friendship, Hollin believed, would be never to speak to him of Marcella Boyce.' never to encourage him to dwell upon her, or upon anything connected with her. But his yearning, sympathetic instinct would not let him follow his own conviction. "'Miss Boyce, you know, has been here two or three times while you have been away,' he said quickly, as he got up to post a letter. Aldous hesitated. Then he said, "'Do you gather that her nursing life satisfies her?' Holland made a face. Since when has she become a person likely to be satisfied with anything? She devotes to it a splendid and wonderful energy. When she comes here, I admire her with all my heart, and pity her so much I could cry over her. Aldous started. I don't know what you mean, he said, as he too rose and laid his hand on Hollins for a moment. But don't tell me. It's best for me not to talk of her. If she were associated in my mind with any other man than Wharton, I think somehow I could throw the whole thing off. But this—this—he broke off, then resumed, while he pretended to look for a parcel he had brought with him by way of covering an agitation he could not suppress. A person you and I know said to me the other day, It may sound unromantic, but I could never think of a woman who had thrown me over except with ill will. The word astonished me, but somehow I understand it. I find myself full of anger to the most futile, the most ridiculous degree. He drew himself up nervously, already scorning his own absurdity, his own breach of reticence. Holland laid his hands on the taller man's shoulders, and there was a short pause. "Never mind, old fellow," said Holland simply at last, as his hands dropped let's go and do our work what is it you're after i forget alders found his packet and his hat explaining himself again meanwhile in his usual voice he had dropped in on holland for a morning visit meaning to spend some hours before the house met in the investigation of some small workshops in the neighbourhood of drury lane the home office had been called upon for increased inspection and regulation there had been a great conflict of evidence and aldous had finally resolved in his student's way to see for himself the state of things in two or three selected streets it was a matter on which holland was also well informed and felt strongly they stayed talking about it a few minutes holland eagerly directing raeburn's attention to the two or three points where he thought the government could really do good then raeburn turned to go i shall come and drag you out to-morrow afternoon he said as he opened the door. "'You needn't,' said Holland with a smile. "'In fact, don't. I shall have my jaunt.' Whereby Aldous understood that he would be engaged in his common Saturday practice of taking out a batch of elder boys or girls from one or the other of the schools of which he was manager, for a walk or to see some sight. "'If it's your boys,' he said, protesting, "'you are not fit for it. Hand them over to me.' nothing of the sort said holland gaily and turned him out of the room raeburn found the walk from holland's bloomsbury quarters to drury lane hot and airless the plains were already drooping and yellowing in the squares the streets were at their closest and dirtiest and the traffic of holborn and its approaches had never seemed to him more bewildering in its roar and volume july was in and all freshness had already disappeared from the too short london summer for raeburn on this particular afternoon there was a curious forlornness in the dry and tainted air his slack mood found no bracing in the sun or the breeze everything was or seemed distasteful to a mind out of tune whether this work he was upon which only yesterday had interested him considerably or his parliamentary occupations or some tiresome estate business which would have to be looked into when he got home he was oppressed too by the last news of his grandfather the certainty that this dear and honored life with which his own had been so closely intertwined since his boyhood was drawing to its close weighed upon him now heavily and constantly the loss itself would take from him an object on which affection checked and thwarted elsewhere was still free to spend itself in ways peculiarly noble and tender and as for those other changes to which the first great change must lead his transference to the upper house and the extension for himself of all the ceremonial side of life he looked forward to them with an intense and resentful repugnance as to aggravations perversely thrust on him from without of a great and necessary grief few men believed less happily in democracy than aldous Raeburn. on the other hand few men felt a more steady distaste for certain kinds of inequality he was to meet a young inspector at the corner of little queen street and they were to visit together a series of small brush drawing and box making workshops in the drury lane district to which the attention of the department had lately been specially drawn Aldous had no sooner crossed Holborn than he saw his man waiting for him-a small strip of a fellow, with a dark bearded face and a manner which shyness had made a trifle morose. Aldous, however, knew him to be not only a capital worker but a man of parts, and had got much information and some ideas out of him already mr peabody gave the under-secretary a slight preoccupied smile in return for his friendly greeting and the two walked on together talking the inspector announced that he proposed to take his companion first of all to a street behind drury lane of which many of the houses were already marked for demolition a black street bearing a peculiarly vile reputation in the neighborhood it contained on the whole the worst of the small workshops which he desired to bring to raeburn's notice besides a variety of other horrors social and sanitary after ten minutes walk they turned into the street with its condemned houses many of them shored up and windowless its narrow roadways strewn with coster's refuse it was largely inhabited by coster's frequenting covent garden market its filthy gutters and broken pavements it touched indeed a depth of sinister squalor beyond most of its fellows the air was heavy with odours which in this july heat seemed to bear with them the inmost essences of things sickening and decaying and the children squatting or playing amid the garbage of the street were farther than most of their kind from any tolerable human type a policeman was stationed near the entrance of the street after they had passed him mr peabody ran back and said a word in his ear i gave him your name he said briefly in answer to rayburn's interrogative look when he returned and told him what we're after the street is not quite as bad as it was and there are little oases of respectability in it you would never expect but there is plenty of the worst thieving and brutality left in it still of course now you see it at its dull moment to-night the place will swarm with barrels and stalls all the people will be in the street and after dark it will be as near pandemonium as may be i happen to know the school board visitor of these parts and the city missionary too who is afraid of nothing and standing still a moment pointing imperceptibly to right and left he began in his shy monotonous voice to run through the inhabitants of some of the houses and a few typical histories this group was mainly peopled by women of the lowest class and their bullies that is to say the men who aided them in plundering sometimes in murdering the stranger who fell into their claws in that house a woman had been slowly done to death by her husband and his brutal brothers under every circumstance of tragic horror in the next a case of flagrant and revolting cruelty to a pair of infant children had been brought to light in addition to its vice and its thievery the wretched place was of course steeped in drink there were gin palaces at all the corners the women drank in proportion to their resources as badly as the men and the children were fed with the stuff in infancy and began for themselves as early as they could beg or steal a copper of their own when the dismal catalogue was done they moved on towards the further end of the street and a house on the right-hand side behind the veil of his official manor Aldous's shrinking sense took all it saw and heard as fresh food for a darkness and despondency of soul already great enough but his companion a young enthusiast secretly very critical of big wigs was conscious only of the trained man of affairs courteous methodical and well-informed putting a series of preliminary questions with unusual point and rapidity suddenly under the influence of a common impression both men stood still and looked about them there was a stir in the street windows had been thrown open and scores of heads were looking out people emerged from all quarters seemed to spring from the ground or drop from the skies and in a few seconds as it were the street so dead alive before was full of a running and shouting crowd it's a fight said peabody as the crowd came up with them listen shrieks of the most ghastly and piercing note rang through the air the men and women who rushed past the two strangers hustling them yet too excited to notice them were all making for a house some ten or twelve yards in front of them to their left aldous turned white It's a woman, he said, after an instant's listening, and it sounds like murder. You go back for that policeman. And without another word he threw himself on the crowd, forcing his way through it by the help of arms and shoulders, which in ten years gone by had done good service for the Trinity Eight. Drink-sodden men and screaming women gave way before him. He found himself at the door of the house, hammering upon it with two or three other men who were there before him. The noise from within was appalling cries groans uproar all the sound of a deadly struggle proceeding apparently on the second floor of the house then came a heavy fall then the sound of a voice different in quality and accent from any that had gone before crying piteously and as though in exhaustion help almost at the same moment the door which aldous and his companions were trying to force was burst open from within and three men seemed to be shot out from the dark passage inside two wrestling with a third a wild beast in human shape maddened apparently with drink and splashed with blood he's done for her shouted one of the captors and for the sister too the sister shrieked a woman behind aldous it's the nurse he means i saw her go in when i were at my window half an hour ago oh you blackguard you and she would have fallen upon the wretch in a frenzy had not the bystanders caught hold of her stand back cried a policeman three of them had come up at peabody's call the man was instantly secured and the crowd pushed back aldous was already up upstairs which room he asked a group of women crying and cowering on the first landing for all the sounds from above had ceased third floor front cried one of them we all of us begged and implored of that young person sir not to go near him didn't we Betsy? didn't we doll aldous ran up on the third floor the door of the front room was open a woman lay on the ground apparently beaten to death by her side torn dishevelled and gasping knelt marcella boyce Two or three other women were standing by in helpless terror and curiosity. Marcella was bending over the bleeding victim before her. Her own left arm hung as though disabled by her side, but with the right hand she was doing her best to staunch some of the bleeding from the head. Her bag stood open beside her, and one of the chattering women was handing her what she asked for. The sight stamped itself in lines of horror on Rayburn's heart. In such an exaltation of nerve, she could be surprised at nothing. When she saw Rayburn enter the room, she did not even start. I think, she said as he stooped down to her, speaking with pauses, as though to get her breath, He has killed her, but there is a chance. Are the police there, and a stretcher? Two constables entered as she spoke, and the first of them instantly sent his companion back for a stretcher. Then noticing Marcella's nursing-dress and her cloak, he came up to her respectfully. "'Did you see it, miss?' "'I—I tried to separate them,' she replied, still speaking with the same difficulty, while she silently motioned to Aldous, who was on the other side of the unconscious and apparently dying woman, to help her with the bandage she was applying. "'But he was such a great, powerful brute!' Aldous, hating the clumsiness of his man's fingers, knelt down and tried to help her. Her trembling hand touched, mingled with his. "'I was downstairs,' she went on, while the constable took out his notebook, attending a child that's ill, when I heard the screams. They were on the landing. He had turned her out of the room, then rushed after her, I think, to throw her downstairs.' I stopped that. Then he took up something. Oh, there it is! She shuddered, pointing to a broken piece of a chair which lay on the floor. He was quite mad with drink. I couldn't do much. Her voice slipped into a weak, piteous note. Isn't your arm hurt? said Aldous, pointing to it. It's not broken. It's wrenched. I can't use it. There! That's all we can do till she gets to hospital.' Then she stood up, pale and staggering, and asked the policeman if he could put on a bandage. The man had got his ambulance certificate and was proud to say that he could. She took a roll out of her bag and quietly pointed to her arm. He did his best not without skill, and the deep line of pain furrowing the centre of the brow relaxed a little. Then she sank down on the floor again, beside her patient, gazing at the woman's marred face, indescribably patient in its deep unconsciousness, at the gnarled and blood-stained hands with their wedding-ring, at the thin locks of torn grey hair, with tears that ran unheeded down her cheeks in a passion of anguished pity which touched a chord of memory in Rayburn's mind. He had seen her look so before, beside Minta Hurd on the day of Hurd's capture. At the same moment he saw they were alone. The policeman had cleared the room, and was spending the few minutes that must elapse before his companion returned, with a stretcher, in asking the names and evidence of those of the inmates of the house on the stairs outside. "'You can't do anything more,' said Aldous, gently bending over her. "'Won't you let me take you home?' you want it sorely the police are trained to these things and i have a friend here who will help they will remove her with every care he will see to it then for the first time her absorption gave way she remembered who he was where they were how they had met last and with the remembrance came an extraordinary leap of joy flashing through pain and faintness she had the childish feeling that he could not look unkindly at her any more after this when at the white house she had got herself into disgrace and could not bring her pride to ask pardon she would silently set up a headache or a cut finger that she might be pitied and so perforce forgiven the same tacit thought was in her mind now no after this he must be friends with her i will just help her downstairs she said but with a quivering appealing accent and so they fell silent aldous looked round the room at the miserable filthy garret with its begrimed and peeling wall-paper its two or three broken chairs its heap of rags across two boxes that served for a bed its empty gin-bottles here and there all the familiar one might almost say conventionalized signs of human ruin and damnation then at this breathing death between himself and her perhaps his strongest feeling was one of fierce and natural protest against circumstance against her mother against a reckless philanthropy that could thus throw the finest and fragilest things of a poorly furnished world into such a hopeless struggle with devildom i have been here several times before she said presently in a faint voice and there has never been any trouble by day the street is not much worse than others though of course it has a bad name there is a little boy on the next floor very ill with typhoid many of the women in the house are very good to him and his mother this poor thing used to come in and out when i was nursing him oh i wish i wish they would come she broke off in impatience looking at the deathly form Every moment is of importance. As Aldous went to the door to see if the stretcher were in sight, it opened, and the police came in. Marcella, herself helpless, directed the lifting of the blood-stained head. The police obeyed her with care and skill. Then Raeburn assisted in the carrying downstairs, and presently the police with their burden, and accompanied apparently by the whole street, were on their way to the nearest hospital then aldous to his despair and wrath saw that an inspector of police who had just come up was talking to marcella no doubt instructing her as to how and where she was to give her evidence she was leaning against the passage wall supporting her injured arm with her hand and seemed to him on the point of fainting get a cab at once will you he said peremptorily to peabody then going to the inspector he drew him forward They exchanged a few words, the inspector lifted his cap, and Aldous went back to Marcella. "'There is a cab here,' he said to her. "'Come, please, directly. They will not trouble you any more for the present.' He led her out through the still lingering crowd and put her into the cab. As they drove along he felt every jolt and roughness of the street, as though he were himself in anguish. She was some time before she recovered the jar of pain caused her by the act of getting into the cab. Her breath came fast, and he could see that she was trying hard to control herself and not faint. He too restrained himself so far as not to talk to her. But the exasperation, the revolt within, was in truth growing unmanageably. Was this what her new career, her enthusiasms, mean, or might mean? Twenty-three, in the prime of youth of charm horrible unpardonable waste he could not bear it and could not submit himself to it oh let her marry horton or any one else so long as it were made impossible for her to bruise and exhaust her young bloom amid such scenes such gross physical abominations amazing how meanly passionately timorous the man of raeburn's type can be for the woman he himself may be morally ever a fighter and feel the glow the stern joy of the fight but she let her leave the human brute and his unsavoury struggle alone it cannot be borne it was never meant that she should dip her delicate wings of her own free will at least in such a mire of blood and tears it was the feeling that had possessed him when mrs boyce told him of the visit to the prison the night in the cottage In her whirl of feverish thought, she divined him very closely. Presently, as he watched her, hating the man for driving and the cab for shaking, he saw her white lips suddenly smile. "'I know,' she said, rousing herself to look at him. "'You think nursing is all like that?' "'I hope not,' he said, with effort, trying to smile too. "'I never saw a fight before,' she said, shutting her eyes again. "'Nobody is ever rude to us. "'I often pine for experiences. "'How like her old, wild tone! "'His rigid look softened involuntarily. "'Well, you have got one now,' he said, bending over to her. "'Does your arm hurt much?' "'Yes, but I can bear it. "'What vexes me is that I shall have to give up work for a bit. "'Mr. Rayburn?' "'Yes.' "'His heart beat.' We may meet often, mayn't we, at Lady Winterburn's, or in the country? Couldn't we be friends? You don't know how often—' She turned away her weary head a moment, gathered strength to begin again. How often I have regretted last year! I see now that I behaved more unkindly. Her voice was almost a whisper than I thought then. But it is all done with. Couldn't we just be good friends? Understand each other, perhaps better than we ever did? She kept her eyes closed, shaken with alternate shame and daring. As for him, he was seized with overpowering dumbness and chill. What was really in his mind was the terrace, was Horton's advancing figure, but her state the moment coerced him we could not be anything but friends he said gently but with astonishing difficulty and then could find nothing more to say she knew his reserve however and would not this time be repelled she put out her hand no she said looking at it and withdrawing it with a shudder oh no then suddenly a passion of tears and trembling overcame her she leant against the side of the cab struggling in vain to regain her self-control gasping incoherent things about the woman she had not been able to save he tried to soothe and calm her his own heart wrung. but she hardly heard him at last they turned into main street and she saw the gateway of brown's buildings here we are she said faintly summoning all her will do you know you will have to help me across the court and upstairs then i shan't be any more trouble so leaning on rayburn's arm marcella made her slow progress across the court of brown's buildings and through the gaping groups of children then at the top of her flight of steps she withdrew herself from him with a wan smile now i am home she said good-bye aldous looked round him well at brown's buildings as he departed then he got in a hansom and drove to lady winterburn's house and implored her to fetch and nurse marcella boyce using her best cleverness to hide all motion of his in the matter after which he spent poor aldous one of the most restless and miserable nights of his life End of book three chapter ten of marcella read by liz Delosu.